0: You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life, reaching the world for Jesus one person at a time. Good
1: evening, real life. How's it going? Glad you're here with us. It's that time of year again, the time when we talk about money. So uh, glad you're here to uh, share with us in this opportunity. Um, Just to give you a little bit of background, last year um, we switched it up a little bit. Over the years, just if you've been in church a while, you know this stewardship series are an annual event on the church calendar. They are, they will show up once a year. They will. And it's important because God talks about what we do with our money more than any single other topic in scripture, including love, salvation, grace, compassion, forgiveness, all of those put together don't equal how much God talks about how we should live with our money. So it's an important topic. More of Jesus' parables are about money than any other single topic. Uh, it's a big deal. And so once a year, we want to take the opportunity to do that. And this year's no exception. Last year, we changed it up and we did something crazy. We didn't use our own material. Because what we learned was we are really bad at talking about money. <laughs> um, we really, really suck at it. And so um, we decided to use somebody else's uh, conversation about money because it's one of those things where for us, this isn't so much about the church's money going up and you tithing. That is a piece of stewardship for sure, but this is about you being able to experience everything that God has for you. I mean, I think about this this, this worship that we had tonight, which was it was powerful for me. I don't know about what you guys were doing, but I was I was straight up connected. Uh, like this, this, like God has no rival. God has no equal. God, like he is the name above all names. And when he says for us to do something, his love is something that transcends every excuse that we could ever give for not following that. Right? Do you believe that that's true? Uh, one of the questions you're going to hear a lot about a lot in this series is this, does your giving show that you believe that that's true? Because whatever words come out of your mouth, whatever thoughts you have in your head, your life will tell what you actually believe about God. And if we truly believe that God is everything that the scriptures say that he is, then we're free to trust him and do the things that he asks us to do with our money. So we want to talk about that. And so we're using what's called the ABCs of Financial Freedom. And this is the book. If you were here last year, you were offered a free book. If you didn't get a free book last year or if you lost your book and would love another copy, there are copies out there, one free per family. You can get one. It's yours to read and to use. It's us as a church investing in your Financial freedom. And we want to do that. We really do. Now, there's also a workbook that goes along with this that can help you actually pencil out how you apply it. That workbook will be $3. But the book, the, this book is free to you um, if you want to have that. And those are all available out at the Connection Point on the way out today. Uh, let's get some things clear and then we'll jump into the sermon. First of all, I, I know that when, when and I say this every time I do a giving series, when a pastor talks to a church about giving, it's kind of like a husband telling a wife she should be a better wife. Of course he would say that, right? You get all the benefit of that. Now, uh, so let's just dispel all the issues, all the funny things and all the weird Vibes that people get about money it's weird, and we'll talk about that throughout the series, but it's, it's weird but um here's here's the deal my hope my hope is that our church is giving doubles so there, I hope it does and any any pastor that does a giving series that says anything different is a liar and you shouldn't go to his church uh, not, you might think it only needs to go up twenty five percent or whatever, but like. Of course, yes. Yes, I want to do that. Yes, it doesn't affect me personally. What it affects is our opportunity to uh, make a difference in the community. It, It affects our opportunity to invest dollars in things like benevolence, like sending people to rehab, like helping provide for single moms, like doing all kinds of fun things that we love to do and that we're passionate about. That's what it goes for. And this is an opportunity for you to be invested in that. Now, last year, we had over 70 families that committed to being a part of this. And that was pretty cool. Um, Here's what I want to say about that before we move on. Uh, If you were one of those 70 families, we would love to hear from you how, like, what's the last year been like for you? Has God been faithful? Um, did, was God not faithful to you? I would love to hear that story if you're one of those, or if you're somebody that was like in the last year I committed to start tithing and in the, in tithing, here's what happened. Here's what happened in my life. I would love to hear that story. You can email that to me uh, at comment at liferotp.com. You can email that to me. Um, and again, yeah, I'd love to hear the story. I'd love to celebrate that. And maybe even read it, not with a name attached to it, because people are weird about their money, but just to read the testimony of what God's doing um, In our people, it would be really powerful. So, with that in mind, I want to jump into this series. And the A, we're going to go through each week, four weeks, A, B, C, and D. The A of our ABCs is our attitude. Our attitude affects everything about our giving. Our attitude affects everything about life. Your attitude will determine everything about your life. Um, Zig Ziglar said, "Your attitude determines your altitude." And it's true. Like your attitude will determine how, and and you can be a yeah, but person all you want to, but at the end of the day. Your attitude will determine how far you go in life. it will, so I want to read a passage out of first chronicles chapter twenty nine and we 're going to be running at an incredible rate of speed this evening. Um, this is a story from the end of the life of David. David has conquered the, the nation and made peace in Israel, and he wants to build God a house, and God says you can 't because you have too much blood on your hands so David begins the process of assembling all the materials needed to build the, the temple. Uh, remember, God's been living in a tent called the tabernacle up until this point. And, and David wants to build him a house, a temple. And so he starts to build the, or assemble the building materials needed to build the temple. And then he's handing off the kingdom to Solomon, his son. And in the process of that transition, here's what he says. It says, therefore, David blessed the Lord and in the presence of all the assembly, and David said, blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Do you believe that? That everything in earth is and in heaven is God's. Do you believe that? Yeah. Does your giving show it? Yeah, I don't. I never get as many yeses with that one. Yeah, it's all God's. Really, does your giving show that? Listen, maybe it's, maybe it's time for us just to consider the possibility of what it would look like for us to put our money literally where our mouth is. Uh, let's read on. Uh, Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is great to make and give strength to all and... and now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. But who am I? I love this perspective. But who am I and what is my people that we should be, thus offer, uh, be able thus to offer willingly? For all, these, all things come from you, and of your own have we given you. <laughs> like what David recognizes is when we offer something to God, what are we giving him? What's already his. Of your own are we giving you. That's what he says. This is David's perspective. I'm not giving you my money, God. I'm giving back to you the money that you already gave me. For we are strangers before you and sojourners as all our fathers were. Our days on earth are like a shadow and there's no abiding. O oh Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building your house for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. Now David makes some statements in here that are really important. They reveal his attitude. And these are in your notes. I want to run through them quickly. Number one, he says that all that, all that is in heaven and on earth is, is yours. It's God's, belongs to him. Number two, both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand, number three, in your hand, it is to make great and to give strength to all. Number four, who am I and what is my people that we should be able to thus offer willingly? Like, who are we, God, that you're so holy, you're so awesome, you're so amazing? Who are we that you would even accept our offering? Like the, the, the blessing that David feels just in being able to even offer anything that God would accept. Like maybe that's a perspective we should have in how we approach God. And number five, everything that we gave you is already yours. And that attitude determines everything. We know that David's called a man after God's own heart. And I wonder, you know, David wrote many of the Psalms. He was this tremendous worshiper. And I wonder if David was able to worship God because God did so many great things in his life, or if God did so many great things in his life because David was determined to be a great worshiper. And I think that's important for us. Our attitude determines everything in life. Our attitude determines everything. And your attitude about finances will be the single factor to determine whether or not you're able to give. Not the amount of money in your checking account. The amount of money in your checking account will never determine whether or not you're able to give. It won't. And I know that some of you are going, yeah, but it won't. Your attitude determines it because if we have a posture that's right before God, how could we do anything else? How can we do anything else? So we have five attitudes that we want to talk about tonight. And Josh is going to talk about the first one.
0: All right. How are you guys doing? Good? All right. Our hope for this series for you guys is, again, that you choose to have peace. You choose to have shalom. We talk about shalom in all of these areas, the spiritual areas, about prayer, about getting into the text, about all these things. And how about having peace with your finances? How about having, having peace, real true peace with that, not getting wrecked by a surprise bill or all those things? You know, we talk about everything is God's. God in the Gray family, he needed four new sets of tires on all four cars this year. God's washing machine, our dryer, was it, our, no, our dryer? Yeah, God's dryer broke down in the Gray family and died. God's microwave died. All of those things happened in our family this year, and God still takes care of all of that stuff because it's his stuff if you think about it that way. So, uh, so it's attitude number one from I don't need a plan, which I hopefully you don't believe that, to if I don't follow God's plan, I don't have a prayer. And he talks about that in his text. In Proverbs, he talks about uh, where there is no prophetic vision, people cast off restraints. Have you ever not had a plan for your money and cast off restraint, and then what happened to your money? Uh, I wrote down my notes. Uh, my money already has a plan to leave me this month. A good chunk of it already has a plan. It already knows where it's going. Um, but, he, but he is blessed who keeps the law. How about Proverbs 16.3? says, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. Are you committing your finances, your work, everything that you're doing to God? And do you trust that it really will happen? And for me, I I was doing a little more research. Do you know that Christians in this room, there's probably, what, 100 of us in here, 11% of you would be really struggling with your finances, struggling, like, not making your bills. Uh, 32% of you would be stable, like, you're surviving. You're able to pay your bills. 38% would say, I'm pretty secure. I maybe have a little retirement put away. And 13% would say, you actually have surplus. Like, I have more than I need. And those are just statistics. Some of the things that describe money, I was looking at one. Susie Orman says, here's the three emotions people have a lot of times surrounding money. And tell me if you've ever felt this way about money when you think about your attitude towards money. Uh, People are fearful. They're fearful to talk about it. They have shame, shame of where their money went, how they spent it, what they did. And they have anger. They get angry about their finances because it comes through whether it's not enough and all those things. And those are all attitudes, and I, I guess the one attitude I wanted to pass on in this is really an attitude of total surrender about your finances. We talk about being disciples in this church, and we talk about somebody who's committed to following Jesus, committed to being changed by Jesus, and committed to the mission of Jesus. Is this an area in your life where you need to have some commitment from the Lord to change your attitude about finances? Aaron?
1: So first attitude, gotta have a plan. You've Got to change your attitude from I don't have a plan to if I don't follow God's plan, I don't have a prayer. And that's true. I know a lot of people that will tell me I don't have enough money to tithe. Here's what I know. I don't have enough money to not tithe because if God ever took his blessing out of my finances, I would be up a creek. Up a creek. Um, second attitude, from what, what I do with my money is my business to what I do with God's money is is God's business. I wanna tell you a story out of Joshua chapter seven. So if you remember, the children of Israel are getting ready to come into the promised land. They cross the river, they have the big circumcision ceremony, they cross the river, and they come to the first city is Jericho. And there's battle strategies, great battle strategy used by many armies all over the world. March around the city once a day for six days, and then on the seventh day, march around the city seven times and blow your trumpets. And this is their military strategy. The walls collapse and they go in and they conquer the city. Now God says this city is the first city that you're going to come to in the promised land. Therefore, I want you to dedicate it, all of it to the Lord. 100% of it gets dedicated to the Lord. And here's how I want you to dedicate it to me. Burn it. Burn it all to the ground. To which many of us who are analytical people, our number crunchers are like, that's so wasteful. That is so, all that, all the gold, all the money, all the, the cows that, you think of the steaks that we could have fed the poor with. Think of what we could, that is so, God, what, how could, that is so wasteful, right? A couple of thoughts about that. Number one, not your call. Who cares what you think about what God says to do with his money? Are you with me? Like, it's not your plan. It's his plan. So if he said, I want you to take all your money, throw it in a big pile, light it on fire, and while you do it, stand on your head and chant the Lord's prayer. He didn't ask you to do that. But if he did, does he have the right to do that? He does. And the question is, what would we do with that? if he asked us to do it. it can't, it's not my business what God asked me to do with my, with my money, with his money. My business is to be faithful. Am I gonna trust that he will actually do what he says he's gonna do? And what happens is, there's a guy by the name of Aiken, yub, 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 for some bacon, yub, 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 anybody? Um, he's a big pig. You can be a big pig too. Huh. Uh, he steals a bar of gold and a bar of silver that are roughly between 125 and $150,000 in today's money, which is no small chunk of change, but compared to what was in the whole city, like it wasn't that big of a deal, he, he steals this stuff and he goes and he hides it. Now, in chapter 7, verse 1, it says, it opens with this, and the children of Israel did evil in the eyes of the Lord which I find incredibly fascinating in light of the fact that it wasn't the children of Israel that did evil in the eyes of the Lord. It was Achan. Achan was the one who messed up. And what happened is Joshua sends a group of people up to a town called Ai, creatively spelled Ai, and they go up and they go like, this city's nothing. This is like uh, Princeton. This is like Potlatch is a metro area to AI, right? Like, this is not, this is a nothing city. Nobody lives there. Not that Princeton is nothing, but nobody lives there, Um, which is why the people who live in Princeton live in Princeton, because nobody else lives there. That's why they like it there, right? Uh, That's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, But this is the kind of place that AI is. And 36 men lose their life. Why? Because of Aiken. Now I want you to consider the implication of this. 36 families without dads. 36 wives without husbands anymore because of Aiken. And while we wanna go Aiken was an idiot, why does everybody else have to pay? What we should be wrestling with is if it's true that my decisions positively and negatively affect the community that I'm a part of, then how am I impacting this community? Is it possible that part of the reason why my brother or sister is suffering is because I haven't been faithful the way that God asked me to? Is it possible? Because biblically it could exist. And, and I, I think it matters. Like, is, is this what I do with my money is my business? No, it isn't. Because when you rob from God, which is what Malachi 3 says you're doing, when you rob from God, what you're doing is hurting your brothers in a very real way. So that's the second attitude.
0: Third attitude is, uh, hey, you know, there's nothing I can do about it. To there's nothing that God can't do. And so as you look in Ephesians, it says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the g- uh, glory in the church and Jesus Christ throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Do you really believe that? Because everybody's situation is different. Does everybody, people know that? Have you ever met that, but you just don't understand person? They like, you just don't understand. No, no, I understand you, what you're saying, but you just don't understand my situation because my situation is special and unique. Early in my insurance career, I got the opportunity to have a guy who just crushed any excuses I could ever possibly have about money and being in a bad situation. I was doing the insurance interview uh, Pretty nice house, all that stuff. Go through the income and assets and all those things. And like, man, this guy makes great money. He made like $400,000 a year. I was like, wow, that is great. And But he didn't live like he made $400,000 a year at all. I think a nice house, but it wasn't that kind of a house. Come to find out, he had gone through a bad investment deal with some friends on a sure thing. And it took him eight and a half years to pay back $12 million. He didn't file bankruptcy like all of his friends did. He lived a very simple life. And that God, he believed, he's a Christian man, he believed that he owed that money. And he believed that God would help him provide it and that he would do it. And he would do whatever it took because he didn't want to give God a black eye as a Christian businessman to just say, well, I'm sorry, that's so much money. It's 30 times what I make every year. That's so much money, you're gonna have to eat it. And so having somebody that takes excuses away that yes, it is a bad spot, but let us walk alongside you. Let us believe together as a church and as a body that God can do the impossible and that God can do the amazing things in your life and in my life.
1: Fifth, uh, fourth attitude is from giving to get something. I need to shift from giving to get something to giving for no other reason than I love God. And here's the deal. The Bible teaches a law of what's called seed time and harvest that when we sow in our giving that God we reap uh, a blessing from God and we do that that's true. But the problem is if that's why we give then that's not really giving that's backdoor taking. It's still rooted in selfishness. We're not being generous. We're investing in God because we believe that it's a, it's a we can't outgive God, right? We believe that. I can't outgive God, so I'm going to give so that He gives me more. Well, that's not really giving, that's backdoor taking. Now, it may or may not be true, but the reality is you may not get from God financial prosperity. You might. That might be the way he blesses you. It might be that the way he blesses you is that your children follow the Lord. Now let me ask you a question. For you parents that have grown children, which would you prefer, a million dollars in your bank or kids that walk with the Lord? Like, you know those things that really matter. Like money is such a shallow reason possession is such a shallow reason for us to give. Like you may get it, but it's so shallow for us. And so I want to give you these four levels of givers, different types of givers. Um, Number one is a hesitant giver. Now there's, there's another level that isn't on this chart. It's the non-giver. You don't count. You don't make the chart. Um, Four levels of giving, people that actually give. There's hesitant givers. These are people that when they walk by the box and they drop their uh, their check in the box, they have to pry their fingers off of the check and run before they try to open it um, to get the check out. And like, I can't do it, but it's okay because it's locked, so just drop it and go. Um, we put a lock on it because we live in North Idaho and probably somebody would try to make change. Like that's <laughs> the world that we live in. <laughs> Uh, so but we have these hesitant givers that are like, they don't, they don't really believe. Like, I don't know, you know, they, they do it, but I don't like it. And then we have obedient givers. Like God says to do it. That's why I will do it. God says to do it. That's why I'll do it. I don't get to have an opinion about it. Right. That's, it's an option. It's a joyless option. Right. These are the fundamentalist, legalist people that are, you know, the joy of the Lord is my strength. God says to do it, and that's all that matters. Well, it's not all that matters. Um, Number three is an abundant giver. They do what they're supposed to do and beyond. These are people that have really latched on to the idea that giving is a good thing, and they give um, beyond the tithe. And I would say that if you've been walking with the Lord for a while, this should at least be where you're at. Like you should for many of us be we like, well the, the Bible says to tithe, that's ten percent. Okay. So I ten percent is the goal. I think for those of us that have been walking with the Lord, we should be looking at ten percent in the rearview mirror. Like we should be finding new ways to be generous as well. Ten percent's not the goal, that's a starting point forgiving that's the, that's the baseline of the scripture, forgiving. It's a, this is an opportunity for us to do more than that. And then number four is the extravagant giver. These are people that no matter how much money they give, they're giving sacrificially. They're putting themselves out. No matter how much money they make, they're putting themselves out in order to bless someone else. That, that's what it means to give because I love God. Because I love God, I want you to be blessed. Oh, and by the way, that's way better than having a big bank account.
0: Uh, the fifth one is uh, honoring God with my wealth is where I want to end up, or honoring God with my wealth is where I want to begin. And here's what the uh, proverb says, is, honor the Lord uh, with your wealth and with your first fruits of all uh, your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. First fruits. So moving my giving to the front of my bill list instead of the back of my bill list. list. And as I thought about this more, I thought about the analogy of leftovers. You know, sometimes we have leftovers. I kind of like leftovers because it's more seasoned. But sometimes you have leftovers in the fridge versus, you know, something that's brand new. But when I really break it down to where God is, like, what did God give us? Did he give us his leftovers with his son, Jesus Christ? Did he give us his best? Did he give us his best up front? This is the best I have. It's for you. And I'm going to mess around with the little thing about money, about not giving God the first. What comes in before that? I just couldn't stomach that. And so, when you think about where it lines up, like, well, someday, well, someday, well, someday, well, someday, well, thank goodness that the Lord didn't say, well, someday for us. He gave it to you now, and you just have to accept it. And why wouldn't we do the same thing with these silly things in finances? Give them the first fruits.
1: So, uh, we're going to move towards the Lord's table, and if you're new with us, what that means is we take communion together every week. So, if you're willing to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus with us, we have an open table, and we'd love for you to, to eat with us as part of our family. Um, while they're passing that out, we want you to hold those elements till the end. We'll take them all together. But while they're passing that out, I want to work through a few things that I think we need to start ruminating as we move into this series on what it means to be financially free. Uh, I I promise you this, you won't be financially free if you're not tithing. You won't be. I don't care how much or how little money you think you make, you won't be financially free if you're not tithing. Uh, First implication, God wants all of us to be extravagant givers but we can't get there doing the same things we've always done. Maybe it's time for us to consider the possibility that we should try something different. I don't, I don't know any of us that are sitting in here going, I don't know what to do with all this money. If you are, come talk to me, because I have some wonderful ideas. Um I just watched uh, on the Discovery Channel the show about Pablo Escobar called Finding Escobar's Millions. Did you guys see this show? Maybe you didn't. You know, he's the world's largest drug dealer ever in history. At At, at his peak, he was making $60 million a day. $60 million a day. And he had so much money and it was all dirty money and the banks wouldn't do anything well, they wouldn't deal with him, and so he just started burying his money in the ground because he didn't know what to do with all of it. He's like, I have all this money. At one point, 20% of the hundred-dollar American hundred-dollar bills that were in circulation were in Colombia, buried in the ground or in a wall. I don't know any of us that are sitting in that position, right? There's none of us that are sitting here going, I just don't know what to do with all this money. I'm just going to go dig a hole, bury it in the ground. I think there's a parable about that. It doesn't work out well. Maybe it's time for us to consider the possibility that the problem for us in our giving isn't the amount of money that we're making. It's the attitude with which we're stewarding it. It's not even how we're stewarding it. It's the attitude with which we're stewarding it. And maybe it's time for us to to try something new. Second implication, our attitude about giving to the Lord should be joyful joyful and generous. And, and I just want to say this. There's a lot of people that are like, well, I, you know, the New Testament doesn't talk about tithing, which is not true. But um, they're like, you know, the New Testament says you've got to be a joyful giver and not grudgingly or under compulsion because God loves a cheerful giver, right? You've read this, 1 Corinthians 9. And they say, so because I can't give joyfully, then I don't have to give, Well, first of all, one of the most ungodly statements you could ever make. Secondly, read the passage. What it actually says is Paul is telling the Corinthian church, I'm coming to take a tithe and you are going to give something. You might as well give it joyfully. But whether your attitude is bad or good, you're going to give something. That's what Paul's saying there. And by the way, just for the record, if you want to use the New Testament standard of giving, I'm all for it. Because Paul had to tell the Macedonian churches to stop giving because they were giving themselves into poverty. So if that's what you want, I am okay. Our attitude about giving should be joyful and generous. And how could it not be, considering how good God is? All these names that we shouted out, like I couldn't even talk, I was weeping. All these names that we shouted out in worship, faithful, provider, true, good, sovereign, all those things that came out of that. If you really believe that, then how could you be anything but joyful and generous? Third implication, we must commit to doing God's things God's way. It's the only way to attain God's results in our lives. And what I will suggest to you throughout this series is that part of what we're trying to do with our money is do God's things our way. We want to do God's things, but we want to negotiate it. Either we're like, I don't actually have to tithe, I'll just give a little bit, or I get to pick where my tithe goes. So I'm going to put a little here, a little there, a little whatever. And and those just simply, they just simply aren't biblical. They aren't godly things. It's not accurate. It's not right. And the problem for many of us is that we're wondering why we don't have more blessing in our life. Where's God's blessing in my life? Well, the problem is you're doing God's things, but you're doing it your own way. You don't get to do God's things your way. We must, If we want God's results in our life, we have to do God's things God's way. Then we get God's results. And until we're willing to submit to that, then our life is just gonna be a constant battle of running up against a brick wall. What I love about taking communion together every week is that it's an opportunity for us to take a moment And remind ourselves that even if it means that we lose our own life, we're not gonna go someplace in following God that he hasn't already led the way. There's no amount of sacrifice that you can give that God hasn't already out-sacrificed us there just to tell us how much he loves us. That's why communion for me, I love taking it every week. I, I love reminding myself that while I may not like pieces of my life or I may think that God isn't in a part of my life or whatever, it's this constant like baseline foundation of, hey, don't forget, God's already gone before me in any sacrifice that I could possibly be asked to make. It's worth it. His love, uh, it's like, like there's no end to it. There's no running out of his love. I love the scripture that talks about if you keep casting your bread upon the water, soon it's going to come back on every wave. His love is like a tidal wave. It, it rushes at us. It's this fierce thing. So we want to take communion together. We want, to, we want to take our bread, and it reminds us that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it, and he said, this is my body. So whenever you eat this bread, do it in remembrance of me. So let's remember him. And then Jesus took a cup and he said, this is my blood, this new covenant. And in this new covenant, God's told us there's no place that we won't go to tell you, God, how much we love you. And maybe tonight, as we take communion, it's a good thing for us to sit and go, okay, God, maybe it's time for me to say back to you how much I love you. Maybe it's time for me to get serious about this generosity thing maybe it's time for me to let the world know who you are to me. Let's remember him this evening. And God tonight I just want to I just want to say thank you for the way that you provide for us. The way that you continue to extend your grace beyond anything that we could ever think or imagine, Lord, the way that your love never ends. It's bigger and broader and deeper and more passionate and more fierce and more beautiful and more wonderful and scary than anything we could ever imagine. Lord, your love truly is like a tidal wave. It's like a hurricane. It's like this massive storm that consumes us, and yet in the process of crushing, sets us free. Lord, give us the courage to take you at your word. In your name, amen.
0: We hope you've enjoyed this message from real life. If you'd like more information on who we are, what's happening in our church, and how you can get involved, visit us on Facebook and Twitter and visit our website, liferotp.com.